Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Um, bear with me, this is quite a long passage. Um, I'm going to try and work out how to say all of these names. Um, but this is the passage that we are going to be looking at today. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of, the Lord, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to a bow and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. 
So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jeroboam that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet with him. Will you join me in welcoming David to the front? Morning, Central Service. How are you doing today? Good. Good. I think that's good anyway. Uh, I am very excited personally, uh, and I realize it's indecent to be doing this at this time of year, and even more indecent to be confessing it to all of you, I'm about to go on holiday. Yeah, didn't quite get the same level of enthusiasm, did it? So here's what happened. A couple of years ago now, my father-in-law was very sick, and uh, he's... um, He's getting old as well, and of course, when you're very sick and old, you have conversations you might not have otherwise. And Philippa went to, my wife went to visit him in hospital one uh, day, and they had the sort of conversation you have in those sorts of times. Is there anything that you've wanted to do in your life that you haven't done? And he said, there's one thing. I've never visited the ancient palace complex in Angkor Wat, Cambodia. So Philippa came back. Buddy said, we're too old to go now. So Philippa came back and she said, David, she said, I think if we offered to go too, they would come. And so somehow this whole thing grew. My father heard about it and he said, well, if you want some company, I could come. My three kids, adult children heard about it and they said, there is no way you're going without us. Then Philippa's sister and family heard about it, and they said, we'll come too. And then somehow Hong Kong got added into Cambodia, and somewhere in it all, I heard my voice saying, don't worry, I'll organize it all. (laughs) Now, any of you that know me well, and those in the office who are professional organizers, have laughed a lot at this very idea that I am organizing the whole thing. And they've been saying to me, David, have lots and lots of travel insurance. I've said it makes little difference. You can't insure against human error. So, ladies and gentlemen, please pray for me these next 10 days. Uh, We're trusting it'll be a wonderful holiday. We're very much looking forward, actually, in Hong Kong. We will see an old friend, Jackie Pullinger, who Philip and I worked with many years ago now as new graduates. We went out to Hong Kong. We worked with triad gangsters people coming off heroin, and it was one of the most profound experiences of our lives. Not only did we meet and fall in love, but also we learned a lot about how God works through weakness. And it is that actually which I want to talk about this morning, how God works through our weakness. It was one of the most demanding experiences of my life. Last time I was out there, I pray next Sunday when I'm back, I won't be saying that again. Uh, It was one of the most demanding experiences of my life. I was uh, often lonely. I was often in uh, possible danger, certainly facing conflict, conflict that could become violent. I had very limited ability to communicate uh, because I wasn't a fluent Cantonese speaker. And yet in that situation, I often saw God work in ways that I had never seen before. 
I remember that the worship leader in the church, uh, large church, a little larger than this one, uh, came to me one day and he said, David, I'm going to India. You're in charge of the worship. Well, I regarded this as rather problematic because although I played the guitar, I'd never sung in front of people. And anyone sitting in the front row this morning would have appreciated that my voice isn't that strong. I'd never sung in with amplification and I'd never had a band behind me. And yet, in saying yes, again, I experienced, and others tell me they experienced, some of the most profound and wonderful times of worship. God worked through my weakness. And uh, I know many of us would have, said, would have said the same thing. So next Sunday, sadly, I won't be here, but I am looking forward to worshiping with God's people in Hong Kong. And I want to talk about weakness because I think it actually really is an important theme for us as a church right now. Each of the services, three times a year, are going to take a Sunday out from our regular series to ask, what is God saying to us? And we've called this Vision Sunday, and it will include a bit of vision. In other words, where do we want this to take us? If God were to answer all our prayers, what would it look like? But I feel like more than that, I think the Spirit wants to speak to us, not just individually this morning, but as a community, as a central service, and I think he's got something important to say. But just before I get to that, before I get to power through weakness, let me just share a couple of other reflections about this central service. And thinking back over the last two years since we sent out the South service, I'm, as I look back, I'm full of gratitude. I'm full of gratitude for the hundreds that gather here every Sunday. The worship that we tasted this morning, that we taste so often. I'm incredibly grateful for all those that turn up somewhere between 8.15 or 8.30 in the morning when people first arrive and the start of the service at 10.15 this morning, we probably had 25 or 30 of us in a circle, in the foyer, worshipping God, getting our hearts ready to serve today. I'm I think that's amazing. It's been amazing watching community develop in different parts of the city. That's not been a universal thing for all of us. I know for some of us, we've been really seeking community and found it hard to find. But for some of us in some parts of the city, it's been wonderful to watch it develop and see the sweetness of the connection and the unity and the love that has developed as a result. Grateful for those that have come to Christ through Alpha courses, people who've had their lives changed through Steps courses. Grateful for the times we've got together as a service. Some of you would have been at the Christmas party. We just had a great, fun evening. Beautiful setting, great chatting, fabulous dancing. We just had fun together. We had a great start to this term where some of us got together on a Wednesday evening, worship and prayer, no connect groups as a service. We got together. Remember, I got back that evening. I walked through the door. My wife said to me, how did it go? I said, it couldn't possibly have gone any better. It was just full of God, full of his presence, full of him speaking to us. So there's a lot to be grateful for. But I think too, as a service, we're conscious right now of those that have left us. Two years ago, we sent out the South Service, where Andy Tilsley is preaching this morning. At the beginning of this year, 
the Sutton crowd, who we trust will become a service in September, have said, look, if we're going to really build towards that, we, sh we, we should stay in Sutton every Sunday. Now, we agreed with that. But normally, those first two and possibly even the third row, where Polly and, and, and others are sitting right now, would have been all a crowd of Sutton peeps. But they're not there anymore. And we feel that. I remember, if you'll forgive the analogy, for those of you that aren't parents, just imagine you are for a minute. I, um, I remember the, when our first child went to university. And we said goodbye and we drove home and I went into the house and I went upstairs and there was his room. And it was still there, but it was empty. And it really took some coming to terms with, some getting used to. It was strange. Now, in a sense, we are a parent church. We've grown. And whether you knew it or not, we've had babies. We had a baby two years ago. We just in the process of having another one. And in the afternoon, we sent out of the crowd that gathered in the afternoon two more services. Now, that is all wonderful. That suggests there's life. You can't have babies unless you have life. But there are times where the parent needs to focus on themselves. When I get on a plane on Thursday, there will be a safety demonstration. And one of the things that I will be told is if in the unlikely occurrence that there's a loss of pressure in the cabin, the oxygen masks will come down. Now, what do they say about the oxygen masks? They essentially say, parent, put your oxygen mask on before you do your child. Why? Because otherwise you can end up killed over on the floor and you can't get to your child. You've got to look after yourself first. And then you can care for your dependents. Now I think that's actually important for us right now. Central service, you've given away, you've served others. It's time for a period where we focus on ourselves. That is not selfish. That is not unbiblical. That is not the opposite of following Jesus. That's actually what we need to do so we continue to gain strength so that we can give again. And so we need to bear that in mind. So what do we think? What do I want to share with you today? What do I think the Lord might be saying to us as a service? Well, it comes out of that passage that Vicky uh, read just a minute ago, the story of Gideon. Gideon's hiding in the mountains. He's threshing corn in secret because he's frightened of the Midianites. Now, this whole story in chapters 6 and 7 of Judges basically have one theme, and the theme is this, that when you are weak, God can use you. God actually glories in our weakness. And there's at least three examples of that in this passage. The first is the, the simply the size, the scope of the challenge that Gideon is facing. And it comes out in this passage. Let me just read you a few phrases that Vicky didn't read. We're told in the first verse that the power of Midian was oppressive. Put yourself in the, in the shoes of the people of Israel, God's people. You've come against the Midianites. Their power is oppressing you. Then it says that the Israelites hid in the mountain clefts, clefts and caves. It's sort of humiliating, but you can't match them. So you need to go and hide. 
The invading force was so large, it was impossible to count them or their camels. What on earth am I going to do? How on earth can I deal with them? There's so many of them. And they impoverished Israel as a result. They would turn up at harvest every year, nomadic peoples. They would sweep into the valley. Looking down, you would just see this great mass of them. They would take all the crops, all the livestock. You were hiding, and then they went off again. And this was a military defeat, but it was also a spiritual defeat. I mean, where is God? If he says he's your provider and protector, and they defeat you, it begs a big question. Like, is he strong enough? If God is a God of love and part of his love is the things that he gives us, when things get taken away, it begs a question. Does God love us? It actually comes out when the angel appears to Midian. The angel, it's one of my all-time favorite things in the Bible. The angel appears, looks at little Gideon and he says, you mighty warrior. And Gideon basically says, you have got to be joking. He says, you mighty warrior, God is with you. He says, you've got to be joking. If God was with us, how would any of this have happened? Now, I'm not going to rehearse right now. We've not got time to rehearse the whole national spiritual scene at the moment. But there are challenges out there if we're followers of God. And it could be easy to say, where is God? Does he really love us? And is he really great enough to protect us at times like this? What are we wanting to see out of this central service? Let me sum it up like this. My prayer is that every seat would be filled on a Sunday. I look around and maybe a third of you have got nobody either side of you. You won't be able to sit like that if our prayers are answered. Every seat would be filled. And that there would be a tangible, loving sense of family. When you visit a church for the first time, you can tell whether there's love in the place or not. Not so much by how they speak to you, but how people speak to one another. You can tell. We're praying for every seat to be filled with the creation of a loving family that is full of the presence of God. Did you know people can sense the presence of God when they come into a place? It was said of times of spiritual awakening in the past that as boats approached the ports in both Boston and New York, that the the sailors on the boat started to experience the presence of God even before they got to those two towns that were experiencing spiritual awakening. And the ships would arrive and the sailors would have already got their lives right with God because of his presence. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people say, go to the mermaid on a Sunday morning because God's presence is there. God's presence is there. Well, people get drawn because... God's presence. We're praying for every seat to be filled with a loving family who enjoy the presence of God and see many people come to faith. And as a service, we have that we're then able to serve right across the city. Most churches throughout the book of Acts have a local focus, but a few of them have a regional focus. The church in Jerusalem, the church in Ephesus, the church in Antioch, the church in Corinth. And I think if London was mentioned in the book of Acts, then if there was a church somewhere like this, it would be said and it had an influence across the city, an opportunity to serve across the city. It's the final part of our prayer. 
that every seat would be filled with a loving family that experiences the presence of God, sees many come to faith and gets to serve the whole city, every single part of it. Love to talk more about that. Maybe I'm sure we will in due course. But you may say, well, David, that's a great vision, but how can I contribute to that? I'm conscious of my weakness. Can I really do anything? Gideon was facing a big, uh, a big challenge. But not only was there a big challenge, but Gideon had a per- sense of personal weakness that he could do nothing about. He is in a very hierarchical society where the tribe that you come from and the clan that you come from and the family that you come from matters. If you come from the right tribe and you come from the right family, people will listen to you. The problem was Gideon didn't. You know, the Rus- you know Russian dolls, those dolls where you get one inside another inside another? Nod if you know what I'm talking about. I shall continue with this illustration. Gideon was like the smallest doll in the center of the Russian dolls. He said, I'm from the least tribe and the least clan and the least family and I'm the youngest in that family. Nobody's going to listen to me. What could Gideon do about that? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, it may be that you have things in your history, in your past, that you can do nothing about. And you're like, they make me weak. That is like Gideon. Or you may say, I either have physical or mental health challenges which make me weaker than others, and there's nothing I can do about it. Then you're like Gideon. God gives us and allows weakness in our lives in order that he may be glorified through it. You may say, if you knew my situation, my finances, my work situation, where I'm living at the moment, and I don't seem to be able to do anything about it, and it just takes all my energy, and I have no strength for anything, then you are like Gideon. Wherever the weakness is in your life... (laughs) And I sort of want to say to some of you, don't look at me like that. You've got it too. We all carry weakness. And it's an opportunity that God would show his glory. And that's what he says to Gideon. You mighty warrior, Gideon says, I'm the smallest doll in the smallest doll of the smallest doll. God says, you mighty warrior. And we find out too that Gideon struggles with self-doubt. I won't ask us to put our hands up if we struggle with self-doubt here. But Gideon, despite having an angel appear to him, I mean, you'd think that that would give him a level of confidence, wouldn't you? Despite the fact that the angel sets ablaze Gideon's offering, three times during this passage that we read, Gideon comes back and says, did you really? Are you really going to do this? What, for me, with me, are you really? All of us struggle with that same sense of self-doubt from time to time. It's like a tape that plays. For some of us in an almost crippling way. For others just out of subliminal. It's to the back of our minds. Some of us on something, some of us on others. Gideon was facing a huge challenge. He had weakness and he struggled with self-doubt. That was his qualification. So central service, if you think we have a big challenge that we're full of weak people and that we're a bit doubtful as to whether God can pull it off, then this is good news. But this is exactly how Gideon felt. So how did he respond? Or or how are we 
What are we told in this passage? Well, the first thing is that God says to Gideon, he says, I will be with you. And we're so familiar with these sort of words, I will be with you, that they can become like water off a duck's back rather than the God of heaven is going to walk with you every moment of the day and give you strength and life and do things that you couldn't do. I remember as a five-year-old being told by someone in the playground, I'm going to get your, my dad to beat you up. And as a five-year-old, I was terrified. I was convinced that either the next morning or the next lunchtime, this guy's dad was going to appear. And I remember I got into the car and I looked at my father. I said, he said, what's the matter? I said, so-and-so's dad is going to beat me up. He told me so. And my father just looked at me and he said, you tell him this. You tell him that your dad is going to beat his dad up. (laughs) Now, you need to know, I've never seen my father hit anyone in his life. But that was enough and that was all I needed to hear. And I, I remember I just looked at him, I smiled, I laughed, and I gave it not another single thought. That is what it means for God to be with you. In the Old Testament, when God is with someone, one of two things happen. They either win battles that they shouldn't. Joshua goes through water. Well, how does that... That shouldn't happen. He knocks down Jericho. Well, that shouldn't have happened. They either do things against unsurpassable odds or people who are not people of faith look at them and say, I cannot work out their life. God must be with them. I actually had an old friend of mine, used to be a pastor, then he fell right away from God. He said, the one thing that keeps me believing in God is, and he mentioned a mutual friend, he said, the only way I can explain their lives is because... God must be with them. Ladies and gentlemen, God is with you. Not the person sitting next to you, not the person behind you, not the person in front of you. You. He is with you. God is with you. That was the first thing. Mighty warrior, God is with you. But the second thing that God said essentially to Gideon was this. You've actually got what it takes. You've got what it takes. He said to him, he starts by saying, you mighty warrior. Well, that is not how Gideon saw himself. But who knows that how you see yourself has a massive effect on what you can do. Who knows that how you see yourself has a massive effect on what you can do for God. So the angel says, you mighty warrior. Gideon says, you've got to be joking. Give me something more. And do you know what the angel says? Go in the strength you have. In other words, you have got strength. It's like in the New Testament when Jesus sees the man with the withered arm. So his arm is all withered. Do you remember what Jesus says to him? Stretch out your arm. I mean, isn't that the most ridiculous thing to say? The one thing he can't do is stretch it out. It's withered. But as he does, we're told it becomes whole. And he looks and he suddenly finds he has got strength that he didn't know he had. Go in the strength that God has given you. 
Stop explaining your strength away. Stop giving excuses. Stop seeing yourself as the tiniest of the tiniest of the tiniest Russian dolls. You are a mighty warrior. Wow. This is the grace of God, the reckless love of God that we were just singing about a minute ago. You know, the New Testament epistles are full of these sorts of encouragements. Here's just a couple of them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What, Paul? Some things? A few things? No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. John writes, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I sometimes meet people who are very much into spiritual warfare. They're like, oh, we've got to fight here and the devil's very strong there and it's all very dark there. And in the end you think, have you read the end of the book? I mean, who wins? <laughs> and, and in the end, you can, get, you can focus so much on the challenge and the enemy or your opponent that they become so big in your life that you forget that Jesus has broken the power of sin, darkness and death forever. He's the one who's the victor. And he's the one who's in you. The devil does not reside in you. You carry God. Mighty warrior. Go in the strength that you have. Paul again. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The reality is that God has given us strength that most of us do not activate because we're so busy thinking we cannot. Now, if God called you to do something, he has given you the strength to do it. If the dream that we have for the central service is authentic, if it's from him, then he gives us the resources to do it. He doesn't give me all the resources. He doesn't give Joe all the resources. He doesn't give Rich all the resources. He gives all of us. As we're joined together as a family, there is grace for us all as a result. So he says, go in strength. Three things, <laughs> and this I'm going to go through the other two much faster than this one. But in your weakness, you can find God's strength. And he allows us to be weak in order that he may show his glory. Once Gideon has sort of come to terms with this, and when he realizes this, he's like, I'm in. Here's my offering. Then the second thing that happens is Gideon doesn't turn his focus to the Midianites. He turns his focus to the people of God. And guess what he says, what he realizes is most important? Our worship. We've been talking a lot about worship recently. Now the people have ended up worshiping the Midianite God. Like how does that happen? The Midianites are oppressing them and so they go, let's worship their God. It's a very contemporary thing to do. You look and find the strongest and then you worship rather than living with what you believe is right in your heart. And so the Lord said to Gideon, go and tear down the Baal altar and put up another altar, an altar to me and call the people to worship me. No people, no people have ever been spiritually renewed which has not started with their worship. You can pray and do all sorts of things you like, but the first step for us all, if we're seeking renewal, spiritual renewal, is worship. It always is. It's getting him 
in the right place and it's worshipping him. Now, we've talked a lot about that and it's all been about the heart. Would you mind if I just mentioned a couple of practical things which I think might aid our worship here? Would you mind? <laughs> Was that yes, you did mind or no, you didn't mind? We'll just go with this. Here's a couple of things which I think will help us, he says. I feel like I'm walking on water now, trusting. Have you ever been in here at 5 to 11? Most of you haven't been. Or at least you're not very often. And, you know, when Tuesday lunchtime, uh, a group of us gather together and uh, we review Sunday. Like, how did it go? Is there anything we can learn? Is there anything we can do better to serve God's people next week than we plan for the next week? Do you know how often I've heard someone, either the worship leader or the host of this service, say, there weren't many people in there at the start. Or sometimes people say, there was hardly anyone in there. Brothers and sisters, this is all about the heart. We've talked lots about that. The heart leads to other actions. Could I ask you, humbly but genuinely, get in the auditorium for 5 to 11. When you first hear that announcement, drop your coffee, leave your cake, interrupt your conversations, and run for the auditorium. I, I got here this morning, I came in about 5'2 or so, just so you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, the, and there were some people who were here, and I knew it had been very intentional, and they were here and they were ready to go. We don't have long on a Sunday morning. It would make such a massive difference to our worship together if we were like here. Now, I know, I understand, I travel around London like you do the whole time. It's so easy to be late. In fact, I remember shortly after I moved here, somebody said, the trouble with Londoners is they're forever early for things so that they're not late for them. So aim for quarter two. Aim for quarter two. If you get here at quarter two, you've not wasted your life. You can enjoy being with people. Aim for quarter two. Be here for five two. If you've got children... It's so long ago my children were young, I can't even remember how long it takes to check them in, other than I remember it just takes longer than you'd ever expect to do it. So parents, you might even need to... You're up anyway. <laughs> Your kids dragged you out of bed at some ungodly hour. So make the most lead the way. Get your kids checked in early. Shroom! Ready to worship. Spiritual renewal always starts with worship. It is about the heart, but the heart does lead to practical action. Practical action might be, see you here. <laughs> I won't be here next week, but I will be early in Hong Kong. <laughs> I, will be, I will be there in Hong Kong, I promise you. See you the week after. Because the other thing with this sort of thing is it's one thing to change actions for a week. It's another thing to change a habit for a lifetime. You know the first time I ever came to this room for church? It was actually before we started Christchurch and there was another church in here. And one of the things that struck me, I sat just up there, uh, sort of in that, in that sort of area, and I could see these first rows and they were pumping with people who had given their heart to Jesus and to his cause. Now, I'm not saying that the only way that you give your heart to Jesus and his cause is if you sit in the front rows, but it was very, very striking. I just thought, wow, there's people here. They are giving themselves I don't care where you sit, but give yourself. Give yourself. Give yourself. 
So Gideon said, I'm pretty weak. And God said, you're the man for the job. And then he said, get the worship of God's people right. So they did that. And then finally, Gideon called the people together. It says that the spirit came on him. Now they're all worshiping. The spirit comes on him and Gideon blows a trumpet and people rally from all over. Isn't it interesting that the whole of this chapter, it's nothing about fighting the Midianites. It's getting us ready. It's pulling the oxygen mask down and putting it on. And so I want to call us into community together. And some of you are fortunate you've found community in different areas of the city. Fabulous. Others of us, I want to encourage you. We're starting a number of new connect groups at the moment. Andy started one in Covent Garden. He said they're having a great time and they're praying that this will be a connect group that will multiply across zones one, two and three. He's particularly praying for one in the west of London, but other places as well. So, and I was chatting with someone just before the service. They said, I've just arrived in London. I was looking for community. That group has been fantastic. But it's not the only group that is starting. Vicky and Ellie, I think you guys are probably starting something in Greenwich, a second group. That wasn't false information, not fake news. Good. We don't really want to do fake news in, in church. Tom and Imogen have just started a new cross. And we're looking to start in other places as well. So I'd encourage you, find community. But not just in the formal sense, but, you know, over lunch and do stay for lunch if you can. Over lunch, look for people who you might connect with. Go out for coffee. Invite them over. I recently had most, a lot of our full-time team over for dinner at my house. Guys have come from almost the Sussex Downs, that's Tilsley, Andy and Joy, who are right down in Sutton. And then Nate and Caroline, who are over by Epping Forest. And then people from all over. And they were all crammed in. And I just thought, wow, these are people for whom community really matters. Because some of these guys have got an hour and a half's journey home at the end of the evening. Listen, if you want to find community in London, get used to traveling. I know it's great to find local community. And, and for many of you like that, you know, that's the gold at the end of the rainbow. Start with what you can get. It's always been my philosophy. If my friends don't live close, then I will shape my life so that I can get to my friends and my friends can get to me. You know, people who know about these things say that people come to church for all sorts of reasons, but they stay for only one. People come to church for all sorts of reasons, but they stay for only one. Do you know what that one is? It's friends. Friends. So if you haven't got any, find some and don't wait for them to come to you. Go find some. I know that's hard. I know that's tricky. I know that's awkward. But if you want to make this your family, listen, we'll do everything we can to help you in. But you need to do a bit of work on it yourself, I suspect, as well. Or often we do. Could the band come back, please? Well, we've got a great task ahead of us. We may feel pretty weak, pretty aware of what we don't have. But the message of Gideon is this, that you can be strong in your weakness and God will work his glory through your weakness. And then he calls us to worship, to tear down the idols in our lives, that we would worship him. And then the spirit comes on Gideon, he blows the trumpet, and everyone rallies for community and to be with one another, to prepare for the battle that is ahead. And so I believe that that is what the Lord 
is saying to us. When we had our worship and prayer evening at the beginning of this term, somebody read these words, and I'd like to close with these. They're from the prophet Isaiah. They felt they were appropriate for us, and I would want to really endorse this. Enlarge the place of your tent. Actually, this, first, this chapter starts with, Sing, O barren woman, more weakness. I can't even have children. What does a, why does a barren woman sing? Because God's going to do something that they can't do. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and the left. Push it. Believe God. Stretch. And then here's the promise. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. But because of the grace and the love of God, he will lift us up. Humble yourself before the Lord. And in due course, he will lift us up. And that's what I believe the Lord is saying to us. And I want to encourage us as we come to worship now, to come with humble hearts, reaching for him. As we do so, let's be listening to the Spirit. He may have other things he wants to say to us. We've got longer than normal because we had shorter than normal worship at the start, deliberately planned, so we can now give ourselves to God, be open to the Spirit, see what he may want to say. And listen, before the end, I'm going to invite those of you conscious of your weakness and feeling it's an impediment in your life to your service of God and your pursuit of the things that you believe he has for you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to the front. And we will pray with you that you would know that despite a thorn in the flesh, that God will glory in you and will use you despite your, despite my weaknesses. Let's stand together, shall we? Come, Holy Spirit of God. Come and fall upon us. Come upon those that are weak but wish to be your servants. Come on those of us who have, do not have silver and gold, but who know your spirit and who have hearts that they're willing to give to you. And we pray that in our weakness you would make us strong. That you would help us give ourselves to worship and you would mold by your spirit a community of love that people can feel, taste and touch when they come amongst us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And we pray it all for the glory of the King of Kings in the heart of the city. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.